get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Sui, with you on this Thursday, August 17th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the identification process for the victims of the Hawaiian wildfires remains difficult. A container ship leaves Odessa for Istanbul amid Russian warnings. Former Ethiopian ambassador to China shared his idea why BRICS remains attractive. In business, China's outbound investment maintained double-digit growth in the first seven months. In sports, England reached their first Women's World Cup final. In culture and entertainment, celebrations for the Schotten Festival in Lhasa. Now today's top stories. At least 110 people have died since a devastating fire swept through the Hawaiian island of Maui. The identification process remains difficult amid efforts to find the missing. Greg Navarro brings the latest. A very windy day here on the island of Maui. That's creating problems for firefighters who are still working on putting out some hot spots. We saw military helicopters scooping water out of the Pacific and dropping it on hotspots outside of the historic town of Lahaina. About 110 people, at least 110 people confirmed dead, but more than 1,000 people remain unaccounted for. Crews slowly making their way through that town, including cadaver dogs and investigators looking for any signs of remains of people. We're told only five people have been positively identified. Authorities saying that what's left there is just not enough to go on. They are urging the public, urging people to provide any kind of DNA possible to help with that identification process. Meanwhile, roads in and around that historic town are open once again for the first time. After a bit of a backlash from locals, they're allowing the public to drive near the town but not go anywhere near as investigators to continue to comb through that area. And there's word now from the White House U.S. President Joe Biden and First Lady Jill Biden will make an official visit here to Maui on Monday. The president had been under increased scrutiny for uh, at least claims or that he had not really addressed the uh, tragedy here. That was Greg Navarro on Maui Island. Hawaii residents have been doubting and questioning the government's response to the wildfires. They are not convinced by White House claims that a robust whole-of-government response was carried out. Many believe the inadequate and tardy measures are responsible for the death and severe damages. You know, I, I think that they either were burned alive in their place or, you know, were walk, trying to, most of them couldn't walk, didn't have cars. And they just were not prepared to warn us adequately. They were not prepared to fight it adequately. Um, this didn't have to happen. These people didn't have to die. Fear and panic that I have never experienced before. There's an airport right up the road. Why isn't that being used? Residents have also complained there was a lack of communication and warnings. In Europe, the Spanish island of Tenerife is battling a wildfire in a mountainous national park. The fire's parameter has expanded across both sides of steep cliffs near Spain's highest peak, restricting access to the area. 14 aircraft and more than 200 firefighters and military personnel are fighting the blazes. Around 150 villagers have left the area, made up mostly of farms and holiday homes. The two airports on the island are still open. Disaster management officials in India say more than 70 people have died from rain-related incidents in the northern Himalaya Pradesh state. 
The state government has decided to shut all educational institutions to ensure the safety of students. Ravinda Bowel has more from Delhi. The rain has reduced, but unfortunately, the damage done is quite severe. The havoc these rains that have created in the last three days have resulted in major landslides. And despite the rain stopping in certain areas, landslide reports are still coming in from different parts of the state. The rescue teams from the State Disaster Response Force, National Disaster Response Force, Army, Air Force, Police and Home Guards, all of them are on the ground. Many people are still buried in the, the debris. So the real numbers are still not known. The death toll, of course, now above 70 and the authorities fear that it will go up further. Highways have been cut off, three national highways cut off, 700 roads have been blocked. The chief minister has said that the loss is above 10 billion dollars and it is going to take more than a year to actually come uh, to bring the state into normalcy and what is being said is of course one of the reasons to be blamed is climate change but the other is a human uh, error in the sense that there are a lot of illegal constructions. There was Ravinder Bowel on ongoing search and rescue operations after heavy rains in northern India. Coming up, a container ship leaves Odessa for Istanbul amid Russian warnings. Three weeks ago, the Wuhan Earthquake Monitoring Center suffered a cyber attack from overseas hackers. This week, preliminary analysis has discovered malicious backdoor software with a potential link to U.S. intelligence agencies. Why is a civilian facility targeted by hackers? What are the threats to global internet governance? Join us on Deep Dive this week to explore the answers. It's six minutes past the hour. Kyiv says a container ship has left the Black Sea port of Odessa for Istanbul. It's the first merchant vessel that sailed in a corridor in the Black Sea after Russia put out from the grain deal. The departure comes despite Russia's statement that all civilian vessels traveling to and from Ukrainian ports will be regarded as military targets. Yolo Abdafid reports from Odessa. Those smaller ports uh, on the Danube River have actually become increasingly important for uh, the Ukrainian government and for the port authorities in Odessa because, quite simply, it is the only way to try and get uh, a, a serious amount of tonnage of grains away to the markets in Africa, in Asia and also in Europe. I think some good news from the Ukrainian point of view that this one container ship uh, left Odessa port, the very first one to leave, uh, in carrying containers, and that ship itself uh, had been compounded here, basically been stuck here since. But the real danger for the Ukrainians is that these smaller ports and the, the storage facilities are being targeted. The other two options for the Ukrainians are either to take it by road uh, and trucks, and the, by road or by rail. And there is a difficulty by rail as well because of the different gauge from Ukraine to Poland. They're still keeping the economy afloat in terms of the grain uh, and by taking a certain amount of tonnage out, but nowhere near uh, as when the Black Sea Grain Initiative was still operational and nowhere near, of course, to what they were doing before February 2022. That was Salo Abdafit reporting. Ukraine says it will not be able to fly U.S.-built F-16 jets this year. An official says they hope the warplanes will join the air defense against Russian missiles and drones. Kyiv has been requesting the planes from Western countries. 
U.S. President Joe Biden endorsed training programs for Ukrainian pilots on F-16s, but provided no timing for the supply. Over 60 people are feared dead after a boat carrying mostly Senegalese migrants capsized off the coast of Cape Verde. The boat left Senegal on July 10th with 101 passengers on board. 38 people have been rescued. Cape Verde Health Minister Philomena Konkakavi says the incident reflects its time for actions to cope with migration issues, which has cost a lot of lives. It comes with a lot of pain, yes, but we know that migration issues are global issues, which require international cooperation, a lot of discussion, and global strategy. Given what the world is going through right now with migratory issues, it means that we all, all the nations, have to sit down at the table and see what we can do so that we don't lose any more lives at sea. Above all, the survivors were on the Cape Verde island of Sowers, Senegal's liaison with authorities for their repatriation. Local health officials say they are being hydrated and taken good care of, and are undergoing tests for malaria and COVID-19. Niger's military leader says insurgents have killed 17 of his soldiers in an ambush near the border with Burkina Faso. The defense ministry also claims that some 100 attackers are dead. It's the deadliest attack since the coup that ousted President Mohamed Bazoum. Meanwhile, defense ministers from West Africa's regional bloc ECOWAS are meeting in Ghana to discuss their options regarding the crisis in Niger. Daji Badamosi has more. They are expected to discuss everything from contribution of troops by member countries to the financing and logistics of the standby force. At their last summit in Abuja, ECOWAS leaders had said they hoped to resolve the political standoff in Niger diplomatically, but by pressing ahead with the activation of the standby force, they appear to be deploying the carrot and stick approach as they seek to reverse the coup in Niger. On paper, the standby brigade for West Africa of about. Uh... I think uh, 1,700 troops from the 15 countries, uh, different ratios of uh, coordinate. I mean, uh, of of contribution. That is supposed to be a, a a brigade that is even on standby here in Abuja. Abuja is supposed to be the the headquarters of that Ecowas standby brigade. But uh, to my own understanding, it is not as if physically the troops are there, and we have like four or five of the countries that are supposed to have contributed. Like you know, Burkina Faso, Mali, uh, uh, Guinea, who are already having military, uh, you know, regimes in their countries, they are not likely to contribute. So the question to ask is that where is that brigade going to come from? The Nigerian military junta has said it's now open to dialogue with Ecowas, but it is also consolidating its hold on power. Its leader, General Abdulrahman Itiani, has already appointed ministers, and on Tuesday, its military-appointed prime minister was in charge to meet with President Mohamed Idris Deby. In yet another sign that the new government is entrenching itself in Niamey, the junta has also said it has enough evidence to prosecute ousted and detained democratically elected President Mohamed Bazoum for what it calls high treason and undermining state security. Ecowas has warned that it is not going to accept that. That was Dechi Badamusi reporting. A Libyan factional commander whose seizure triggered the worst fighting in Tripoli for years has returned to his unit. The Special Deterrence Force captured Mahmoud Hamza of the Triple Four Brigade as he tried to travel from the Midiga Airport in Tripoli. He was handed over to the Stabilization Support Apparatus faction, which released him. 
Violent clashes erupted in parts of Tripoli between the Triple Four Brigade and SDF following the arrest of the commander. The Interior Ministry announced that the conflict stopped when the warring factions agreed to a ceasefire under the efforts of Prime Minister Abdul Hamid Dabeba and elders of Tripoli. Dabeba says the returning of fighting is unacceptable. The Arab League has also voiced concerns over the clashes, saying the fighting reaffirmed the importance of unifying the state institutions swiftly and completing the transitional period via election soon. Libya has witnessed violence and insecurity since the fall of late leader Muammar Gaddafi in 2011. A journalist has emerged as a significant witness of the prosecution of former U.S. President Donald Trump in Georgia. The U.S. state has indicted Trump and 18 others over their efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election results. Sean Callops visited the journalist in Atlanta. It's hard to remember just how chaotic things got. After the 2020 general election, Donald Trump was clinging to power and tried just about everything to overturn the election. Everything that happened in Georgia after the election was a little crazy. At one point, I was watching the warehouse where they were keeping the ballots because I thought somebody would try to run in there and go do something. What is this? George Cheedy is a freelance reporter in Atlanta. While votes were being counted and recounted. Chidi relied on his instincts, honed over 15 years as a political reporter in Atlanta, and followed every lead. While in the state capitol on December 14, 2020, Chidi saw a number of prominent Republicans slip quietly into room 216. Something's up.、Uh, so I pulled my cell phone out and put it on Facebook Live, and I walk in and I say, "Hey, what's going on?、So、we're having a meeting. Oh, he's got a camera." Always got a camera. You have to leave. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're the electors. Sure enough, Trump faithful trying to usurp the legally selected men and women who would certify Georgia's election results. This group was ready to undo Biden's victory and hand the state over to Trump. Days ago, when a list of stunning indictments came down from Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis. Chidi found himself subpoenaed for the second time. Prosecutors wanted to hear exactly what he heard and saw. I was shocked that they would think that this was important enough to、uh, subpoena a, jur- a journalist, because that's always problematic in any different flavors in Technicolor. There are big journalism questions about whether or not the state should be using its coercive power. To influence the press or compel them to be, you know, witnesses for the state. Monday's indictment here in Fulton County, Georgia, of Trump and 18 others is detailed, thorough, and perhaps the most ambitious effort to date to hold Trump and his supporters accountable for the chaotic efforts to overturn Joe Biden's legal 2020 presidential victory. For his part, Trump says he will hold a news conference Monday in New Jersey to tell his side of the story. If anything, Chidi says his coverage of this major story has been validating for him. He, the freelancer, not paid big bucks, has no company-provided health insurance and no 401k retirement account, but he's proud of his work. And as much as anything, this ongoing story has made him keenly aware of just how delicate democracy is. If we can't resolve political questions. Or electoral questions at the ballot box and in a courtroom, then we're going to try to resolve them in the street. 
That was a report on freelance journalists' attempt to uncover the truth in Georgia's indictment of Donald Trump. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, former Ethiopian ambassador to China shared his idea of why BRICS remains attractive. Bomb went off. I have dozens of friends who are missing and possibly.、Dead. The most devastating U.S. wildfires in a century continue to ravage Hawaii. This week on Climate Watch, we look into the unprecedented wildfires in Hawaii as we explore ways to manage and mitigate the increasing threat of extreme weather events. Together, we can make a difference. Sixteen minutes past the hour. South Africa is hosting the BRICS summit in Johannesburg next week. Dozens of countries that formally applied to join the cooperation framework were expressed interest. Ethiopia is one of them. Former Ethiopian ambassador to China Tshomi Toga Chanka shared his idea of why BRICS remains attractive. We just、uh, emerged from conflict.、Uh, we are、uh, in the process of、uh, post-conflict recovery and the reconstruction program. Ethiopia would like、uh, to diverse. Uh, it's a partnership、uh, with major countries like、uh, China, India,、uh, Russia,、uh, Brazil, and、uh, South Africa, who are members of、uh, the BRICS. Our uh, interest uh, in BRICS、uh, essentially is driven、uh, by economic factors, but、uh, it does not mean that uh, uh, we are、uh, we are also well aware that、uh, we have、uh, two members of the permanent、uh, Security Council members, Russia and China. Ethiopia, with other African countries,、uh, as well as、uh, countries in global south, would like to see reform of、uh, United Nations, reform of uh, uh, the financial institutions. That was the former Ethiopian ambassador to China, Tshomi Tonga Chanaka, on Ethiopia's ambitions to join BRICS. A data center in central China is designed to bring BRICS countries closer together. Chinese satellites are already helping with weather monitoring and disaster relief. Sun Ye visited the center in Henan Province to learn more. In China's National Satellite Meteorological Center, Xiandi showed us how Fengyun satellite data could help in reconstructing and analyzing the extent of extreme weather or disaster events anytime, anywhere. These data have become increasingly indispensable, not only for China. In April 2022, when the South African province of KwaZulu-Natal experienced one of the deadliest cyclones and heaviest rainfall in years, the Fengyun satellites were promptly alerted and set to monitor the situation simultaneously. Our on-duty staff monitor alerts from around the world. Once an alert is received, they immediately request satellite data for monitoring. For example, heavy rains can lead to flooding, so we remain vigilant for that. Our system is very fast. After satellite observation, it takes just three to four minutes for the information to reach the user. The South African government said such monitoring efforts have been hopeful. Last year, the same response process was activated over 20 times in Beijing for BRICS and African countries. As part of the International Charter on Space and Major Disasters, Xian said they always strive to share information as fast as possible, as it's a race against time.
We could provide fast monitoring with updates every minute, providing precision up to 250 meters. A BRICS remote sensing satellite constellation is being formed, and ground stations from these five countries can receive and share data coming from satellites, including from China's Earth observation satellite, the Galfin 06. And a data center for this BRICS constellation is being built in Hainan province. Officials say this will help with environmental protection, disaster reduction and prevention, and coping with climate change. That was Sun Ye reporting. The Hong Kong Zhuhai Macau Bridge has seen the passage of the first shipment of fresh food delivered from the Chinese mainland to Hong Kong since a new policy took effect on July 1st. The policy allows the transportation of all types of fresh fruit products originating from the mainland to Hong Kong via the bridge in a designated periods of time. Manager Huang Jinbo with the Fruit Processing and Distribution Center for Hong Kong and Macau in Zhuhai says the policy saved them a lot of time. In the past, our company's fruits were supplied to Hong Kong through Shenzhen. Now, with a direct supply to the Hong Kong fruit wholesale market by way of the Hong Kong Zhuhai Macau Bridge, the distance of transportation has been shortened by 50 to 60 kilometers. This has effectively reduced transportation costs and also significantly shortened transportation time. Zhang Guangyao at the Customs Supervision Department of the Hong Kong Zhuhai Macau Bridge says they are ensuring fast and direct transportation of fresh yet perishable food. The bridge port is open 24 hours a day throughout the year, which makes an advantage that precisely meets the requirement of timely transportation of fruits and the requirement of nighttime transportation of fruits. We have opened the green channel to ensure zero delay in the clearance of fresh food. The Hong Kong Zhuhai Macau Bridge officially opened to traffic in 2018, the longest sea crossing bridge in the world, because to travel time between Hong Kong and the Chinese mainland only 30 minutes. It's fishing season in Hainan, a summertime moratorium aimed at protecting fish populations in the South China Sea has ended. Fishermen from across the island province are hoping for a good catch. Xiao Peng spoke with some of them. The fishery resources of the South China Sea have been replenished following the annual summer moratorium. Fishers load their vessels with ample supplies of ice and water, repairing fishing nets in advance. With preparations complete, they embark on their journey through the South China Sea, ready to reap the rewards. As the fishing season begins, Sanya's Yajou Central Fishing Port comes to life with a fleet of approximately 730 fishing boats and a dedicated workforce of around 3,200 fishers. We usually come back after seven or eight days. One of fish is fresh and easy to sell. We hope to have a safe trip and welcome a good harvest. At Tanan Port in Qionghai City, fishers are busy purchasing essential supplies such as water and other provisions for the upcoming expeditions. The fisheries department has also conducted safety inspections to make sure all necessary precautions are in place. This time, we will be gone for about a month. We hope to catch a lot of fish, making our lives more prosperous. 
We could go with together with ship inspection agencies, law enforcement teams, and other departments, carried out pre-fishing safety inspections to ensure the safety of the fishing boats. Once the fish is written, it's hoped a rich variety of seafood will be available for residents and tourists, contributing to Hainan's culinary scene and the local economy. There was Xiaopeng fishing in Hainan. A variety of hominoid and canine-inspired robots are attracting visitors at the annual World Robot Conference in Beijing. One of the highlights is the robots, which are capable to replicate the facial expressions pulled by visitors simultaneously. Ex-robot CEO Li Boyang says they've been polishing the technology and it's becoming more mature. When we see one person doing a facial expression, all robots will do the same. This will help us build robotic substitutes of humans. Robots can provide service for us remotely while reflecting real facial expressions and voices of humans. Lee says the robots have a variety of uses in places where they interact with the public, such as science museums, tourist attractions, and hotel lobbies. Another highlight is the canine-shaped robots, which are even smarter than real ones. Among them is CyberDog 2, created by Xiaomi. Engineer Xiao Yunxin says easier to train those robots than real dogs. Basically, with a big conversational artificial intelligence model. It will be very obedient after several simple training sessions, and it's more intelligent because it can control smart electronic appliances in the home. For example, you want to turn on the air conditioning. You can't ask a dog to do that, but you can ask the robot to turn on the air conditioning. Also on display are surgical robots such as the Da Vinci robot using thoracic and abdominal surgeries. Li Haoyuan, with developer Intuitive Fosun, says robots cause less damage to patients because they are better at fine-tuning, minimally invasive, and more accurate. Through some operations of the robotic arms, we can avoid the unnecessary shaking of doctors' hands, bring a wider and clearer field of vision for surgeries, which can actually reduce wounds to patients and allow for faster recovery. The World Robot Conference has attracted designers from home and abroad to exhibit more than 600 products. The debate over whether students should be able to use artificial intelligence in the classroom is intensifying. Some experts in Britain say teachers need help and guidance to understand what's cheating and what is not. A survey on 500 secondary school teachers by RM Technology says teachers are not sure whether they are comfortable with their students using AI. The results found that nine percent of the survey teacher could not differentiate work carried out by students and work produced by AI programs. Forty-one percent of them wanted better regulation, while over a third wanted government intervention. Education consultant Mel Parker with RM Technology says both teachers and students have to understand the rules when using AI, such as how they can learn from it, get a better understanding of concepts, and distinguish cheating from good practice. There is concern, absolutely, because teachers haven't been equipped with what they need in terms of pulling together the understanding. So they need that support so that they can spot it. She says regulation from the government has set new guidelines for how AI can be used is also needed to improve education.
A tile game that's been popular in China for over a century is spreading across the United States. Mahjong is gaining popularity as a beloved pastime among the American people. Andrew Lowe's the founder of Sparrow Room, a mahjong parlor in Arlington, Virginia. He says some retirees who love mahjong gather at his parlor every week for a lively meetup and gradually become friends. Where people feel safe to engage and safe to learn is the larger goal and like the the small steps we need to take to create a more equitable and understanding community. The game was introduced to the U.S. in the early 1920s. Now let's check the weather. Beijing is 25 overnight tomorrow, sunny with a high of 33. Chongqing is 29 this evening tomorrow, sunny with a high of 39. Lhasa is 12 overnight tomorrow, cloudy and 23. Hong Kong has showers with a 26 tonight. Tomorrow, heavy rain with a high of 31. Elsewhere, Tokyo is 26 overnight. It will be partly cloudy with 33 on Friday. Islamabad is 25 tonight. Tomorrow, sunny and 36. Bangkok is 27 overnight. Then thunderstorms and 36 on Friday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, the identification process for the victims of the Hawaiian wildfires remains difficult. A container ship leaves Odessa for Istanbul amid Russian warnings. Sui with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. My this kind of beautiful woman. Because the Mongol people are called the Ma Dai. Music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common: we have hope for humanity and the world. German Railway Company Deutsche Director of the International Monetary Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你 This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you are a rookie, 你好，我的中文一点点 or a sophisticated learner. 我来北京五年了，我是本地人 There is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好 Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Sui, with you on this Thursday. Still to come in business, China's outbound investment maintained double-digit growth in the first seven months. In sports, England reached their first Women's World Cup final. In culture and entertainment, celebrations for the Shotton Festival in Lhasa. To contact us, you can email audio newsroom at cgtn dot com or follow our X, formerly Twitter account, CGTN Radio. But first, today's headlines: Beijing says its countermeasures against Washington's tariffs on steel and aluminum imports are illegitimate. This was its response to a report by the World Trade Organization on the dispute between China and the U.S. China's Commerce Ministry said it's studying the report. 
He added that the root cause of the dispute stemmed from the U.S. unilateral and protectionist moves. He says China's countermeasures are legitimate actions to safeguard its national interests. China has reiterated its firm opposition to any form of official interaction between the U.S. and the Taiwan region. The statement from the Chinese Consulate General in San Francisco comes in response to Taiwan politician <coughs> Lai Ching-te's so-called transit trip in the United States. The Consulate General says resolving the Taiwan question and realizing China's complete reunification is the sheer aspiration of the entire Chinese nation, and Taiwan's separatist activities are the biggest threat to regional peace and stability. Official data shows China's overall volume of passenger trips by air rose 84% on a yearly basis to over 62 million last month. That's an increase of 5.3% compared to 2019. In terms of domestic flights, the country witnessed nearly 60 million passenger trips, up 75% year-on-year and 12% from pre-pandemic levels. International passenger flights are recovering too, with around 3 million passenger trips. Thanks to rising summer holiday demand, there's been a huge rise in flight bookings and an increase in the number of flights to popular destinations. The Federal Emergency Management Agency says the White House has approved a request from Hawaii Governor John Green for a full reimbursement for 30 days of emergency work related to wildfires. The fire scorching Maui has so far killed more than 100 people. Over 2,000 buildings have also been destroyed, causing an estimated 5.5 billion U.S. dollars in damage. FEMA Administrator Dina Criswell says one of the things that really need help is lack of understanding whether the locals in Maui should apply for federal aid or not. And we want everybody in Hawaii to know that they should apply for federal assistance. And if they haven't, we'll have people that will be going out into the communities, that they're in the shelters, they'll be at the DRC. They should start that process, and we can work with them to start their road to recovery. U.S. President Joe Biden and his wife Jill would travel to Hawaii next week to survey the devastation left by the deadly wildfires. The Fountain County Clerk of Courts in the U.S. state of Georgia says she publicly released indictment charges against former President Donald Trump by accident while the grand jury was still deliberating. Shea Alexander said she was under pressure to make sure the process went smoothly, and that she wanted to get the documents to the public as soon as possible. She says she made a mistake by hitting the send button instead of save. Alexander's office has released a statement calling the document fictitious, saying documents without official case numbers are not considered official filings. But the document that appeared online did have a case number, though it differed from the one ultimately listed on the indictment. Libya's prime minister says the return of fighting in his country is unacceptable. Clashes between two armed factions in the capital Tripoli earlier this week. Has killed at least 55 people and injured more than 140. Local media say the victims include civilians and security personnel. The commander of one of the factions, whose seizure by the rival force triggered fighting in Tripoli, has returned to his unit. The Interior Ministry says the Prime Minister was involved in the efforts to bring an end to the violence. A Chinese contingent from the 74th Group Army of the People's Liberation Army has arrived in Thailand. To take part in Joint Exercise Assault 2023, 
Contingent Commander Zheng Gang says the drill will strengthen anti-terrorism cooperation between Chinese and Thai armies. This joint drill is a proactive step to explore joint counter-terrorism actions and exchange experiences in tactical training. It holds significant importance in enhancing the capabilities of both armies in executing special operations tasks and a further and pragmatic cooperation in training. The Chinese soldiers study the experiences gained from previous joint training exercises and organize specialized course training before their arrival. Russia says its lunar spacecraft has entered the moon's orbit. Luna 25 will circle the moon for around five days before changing course for a soft landing on the South Pole next week. Russia is aiming to become the first country to land in that region in search for frozen water on the moon. An Indian craft is also scheduled to touch down on the South Pole later this month. This is Sui in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's outbound investment maintains double-digit growth in the first seven months. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 37 minutes past the hour. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished higher on Thursday. Timothy Pope has more. The Chinese mainland markets really struggled to make uh, much headway at all throughout the morning session, uh, but it did close four-tenths of one percent higher, uh, its first gain in a week. Uh, the Shenzhen Component Index added six-tenths of one percent. Uh, tech and consumer shares definitely uh, leading the markets higher. We saw investors buying the dip on uh, chip makers, which have been falling pretty steadily this week. Gigadevice Semiconductor rose more than one percent. Uh, concern over uh, property market risks did continue to weigh on real estate and financial shares, though. Uh, the asset management company Zhongzhe Enterprise Group, which is uh, reported to have more than one trillion yuan in assets under management, uh, said it's facing a liquidity crisis and will need to restructure its debt. Uh, Zhongzhe controls Zhonghong International Trust, uh, which has missed payments on real estate investment trust products in the last few weeks, leading to some fears of contagion in the market. China Life Insurance uh, fell by about 2%, while uh, other financial majors were declining to and property stocks uh, were broadly lower as well. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hansen index closed flat. In Japan, the Nikkei was down over 0.4%. The 7th China-South Asia Expo is underway in Kunming, Yunnan province. Over 30,000 exhibitors and representatives from 85 countries and regions are attending the event. Yang Jinghao spoke with several foreign exhibitors at the expo. I'm here just uh, in the exhibition area. Actually, I was also here last year to cover the expo, but I have to say the atmosphere is quite different. This year, as we can see, uh, this place is just uh, bustling with visitors uh, and uh, uh, exhibitors. And uh, I'm here at the South Asia Pavilion. Uh, This pavilion just showcased uh, diverse uh, products from South Asian countries. And let's check out what kind of uh, special things are offered here. Uh, This one is uh, from Sri Lanka. Uh, hello, gentlemen. Could you tell us what have you brought to this expo this year? Uh, I came to promote the Ceylon tea, and uh, yeah, 
and after the pandemic i think uh, it was uh, great to visit uh, the people's republic of china we have been visiting before the pandemic many times but it was uh, uh, our pleasure and we were very excited to visit your country we know that actually yunnan province is also famous for tea right and sri lanka has also have many special tea products what are the difference uh yeah like uh, ceylon tea uh, they call it the red tea and hunan province also have the black tea so it's a uh, two different tastes but uh, vice versa they like each other uh, they like each other tea i also like to have poor tea when i'm in sri lanka okay yeah uh, this uh, exhibitor brings some special tea from sri lanka actually there are also some uh, special handicrafts like from uh, gemstones from sri lanka and carpets from Afghanistan and among other products according to the uh, China's uh, Ministry of Commerce actually when the expo was first held in 2013 it was just 10 years ago the trade volume was less than a uh, 100 uh, billion US dollars and uh, the volume has uh, reached uh, about 200 billion dollars uh, last year so Uh, as some experts say this expo is actually expected to inject more vitality to bilateral trade that was yang jinghao reporting official data shows that china's outbound investment maintained double digit growth in the first 7 months with belt and road countries as the most attractive destinations from january to july chinese firms invested nearly 72 billion us dollars to non-financial sectors overseas a year on year increase over 10% Belt and Road countries receive around one fifth of these investments. For more insights on the latest investment data, Michelle Vanderbergi spoke with Professor Liu Baocheng at the University of International Business and Economics in Beijing. Professor Liu, first, can you share your perspectives on the just released outbound investment data? What trend do you perceive in this matter? Well, I think it's really uh, a very praiseworthy. a uh, performance for the chinese outbound investment because uh this is really compares in a uh, very stark contrast with the uh, economic uh, and also investment performance around the world uh, last year the world fell by the 12% and china increased at the 7.2% uh, in terms of the uh, foreign direct investment overseas and uh, uh this year uh during the first half uh, uh we can uh, also see that china really achieved more than 20% uh, in terms of the total the outbound investment and uh, particularly the more of the investment is uh, uh number one uh, is focused more on the belt and road countries Number two, they are heading more into the sustainable development and uh, taking uh, greater consideration in the uh, climate change by helping uh, many of those countries uh, uh, with big projects like hydro power and uh, uh, nuclear power, and also to uh, grow the the environmentally friendly businesses and. Uh, supplying more of the uh, e vehicles etc so this really command uh, a lot more respect and so the uh, uh, what really uh, we want to see uh, is that uh, we can really uh, uh, strengthen more of the cooperation with more of the neighboring countries and hopefully the uh, global environment can also be improved because we we do see the challenges from many of those uh, the uh, developed world that they have uh, tightened their investment liquidity and uh, uh, 
therefore, the merger and acquisition, which used to be the mainstay of uh, foreign direct investment, is uh, really on a decline. So uh, this shows that China is still maintaining a staunch economy and the drive to enter into the world market from the Chinese investors are still very strong. That was Professor Liu Baocheng sharing his insights on China's outbound investment in the first seven months. Official data shows China's fixed asset investment in railways hit over 371 billion yuan, or around 52 billion U.S. dollars, in the first seven months of this year, representing a 7% increase compared to the same period last year. The China State Railway Group says in July, the completion of some railway renovation projects eased travel for passengers and boosted transport capacity and efficiency, particularly in the country's western region. The company also says some key projects achieved milestone in the construction process. Last month, the country's railways recorded 406 million passenger trips. During the period, more than 10,000 trains were operating daily, up more than 14% compared to the same period in 2019. New data shows that Xinjiang received more than 142 million visitors during the first seven months of this year, up more than 27% year-on-year. The western region saw a yearly increase of nearly 70% in tourism revenue, raking in some 141 billion yuan, or about 19 billion U.S. dollars. Duan Yuming at Xinjiang's Culture and Tourism Department says different kinds of travel are taking the lead nationwide. Both the tourism revenue and the number of tourists reached a record high. The ice and snow-themed tour, road trip and adventure travel are taking the lead in the whole country. We also saw a sharp increase of visitors from outside Xinjiang. Since the beginning of this year, Xinjiang tourism authorities have stepped up efforts to enhance market supervision, improve service quality, and encourage the growth of new types of tourism. This year's China International Fair for Trading Services, scheduled for next month, will highlight sophisticated products and new technologies in telecommunications, computer science, information services, and other sectors. Huang Ping is the deputy director of Beijing Communications Administration. We'll present to everyone the fresh changes taking place in our social life, which are enabled by new technologies and businesses like 5G and industrial internet in the communications field. And we'll do it through some interesting cases. Some leading firms will present a wide range of products and solutions for space mapping, satellite remote sensing and quantum measurement and control. Virtual reality and hologram technology will also be on display to show what a digital lifestyle will be like in the future. In addition to leading domestic enterprises, the exhibition will also gather nearly 20 firms with an innovative edge in such areas as Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, intelligent manufacturing from countries including Israel, Denmark, France and Japan. The five-day fair will be held in the China National Convention Center and Shougang Park. It's expected to feature more than 200 events, including forums, negotiations, and summits. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, England reached their first Women's World Cup final. The FIFA Women's World Cup has captivated audiences worldwide. The action on the field has been entertaining, dramatic, and featured footballing skills from the world's greatest players. Join us for this week's episode of Sideline Story to hear our discussions that focus on the semi-final action, a preview of the final, as well as various talking points that have dominated the headlines throughout this exciting tournament. It's 47 minutes past the hour. Turning to sports, here is Brendan Yates. 
Thank you, Sui, and we begin with football news, where England have made history, reaching their first Women's World Cup final after beating hosts Australia 3-1. England scored first before Australia's star player and captain Sam Kerr levelled proceedings. Lauren Hemp and Alessia Russo ensured the Lionesses secured their spot in the final with a goal each. England manager Serena Wichmann says she is proud of her players. I can hardly describe how proud I am of the team, because how this team has has been adapted all the time, uh, before the tournament, uh, then during the tournament and now in this game again, how we come through and find a way to win again is so incredible, so I'm really proud of them. England have now set up a showdown with Spain on Sunday to see who will lift the FIFA Women's World Cup trophy. Manchester City came from behind in normal time before beating Sevilla in a penalty shootout to win the Super Cup for the first time in their history. City initially struggled to rise to the occasion and found themselves behind thanks to Youssef El Neziri's towering header. City's Cole Palmer later looped a header over Yassine Bounou to equalise. City got the win they craved when Nemanja Gudlidge missed the decisive penalty of the shootout, striking the bar and handing Pep Guardiola a record-equaling fourth Super Cup. In transfer news, Liverpool have made a shock bid for Japan international Wataru Endo, offering Stuttgart around £16 million for the player, as Jurgen Klopp looks to bring in an experienced holding midfielder. The Japan international, who is 30 years old and who can fill in at centre-back, is reported to be travelling to Merseyside to finalise a stunning transfer. It follows Liverpool's unsuccessful attempts to bring in Moises Caicedo and Romeo Lavia. Manchester City have accepted an undisclosed bid for defender Amrik Laporte from Saudi Pro League club Al Nasser. The 29-year-old defender struggled for playing time last season and has further slipped down the pecking order in Pep Guardiola's squad following the arrival of Josco Gavardiol. Laporte joined City from Athletic Bilbao in 2018 and became a key member of the side, part of all five Premier League title-winning seasons under Pep Guardiola. Moving on to tennis news and rising Chinese star Chung Chin Wen came back from a set down to defeat the legendary Venus Williams at the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati. The 20-year-old lost the first set 6-1 but rallied back to win the last two sets 6-2-6-1. She will next face world number one and reigning French Open and US Open champion Iga Swiatek for a place in the quarterfinals. Novak Djokovic enjoyed a stress-free return to the US competition following a two-year absence after second-round opponent Alejandro Davidovic Fokina was forced to retire in Cincinnati. Djokovic has not competed in the United States since the 2021 US Open and was subsequently denied entry into the country because he is not vaccinated against COVID-19. Davidovic Fakina took a medical timeout away from the court to tend to a lower back issue and when he returned, his movement was limited. Elsewhere, world number one Carlos Alcaraz was stretched but overcame Jordan Thompson in three sets to advance to the third round. Holger Rune made his debut in the top five of the ATP rankings but was unable to finish his first match as a member of that elite club. He withdrew from the match against Mackenzie McDonald due to injury. People have gathered at the Beijing Olympic City Sports Culture Festival at Zhuyongguan to mark the 15-year anniversary of the Beijing 2008 Summer Olympic Games. International Olympic Committee President Thomas Bach sent his best wishes to the event through a video message. Beijing made Olympic history by hosting the first ever Olympic Games in China. The Olympic Games Beijing 2008 
left an extraordinary legacy for sport in China and in the world. We will always remember the fantastic opening ceremony which amazed the world with a rich culture and profound history of China. 2008 was the first Olympic Games to be held in China and was a historic moment that the entire country is incredibly proud of. In boxing, Canelo Alvarez says he will clear up all the doubts about him when he takes on undisputed junior middleweight world champion Jamel Charlo next month in Las Vegas. I understand what the people say and I agree. No, I don't look my best in the last past two fights. But uh, I know why I'm, 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 I'm ready for, for this fight and we'll see. We'll see what is going to happen. You're going to see something different. Alvarez became undisputed at super middleweight in 2021 by taking the IBF belt from then unbeaten Caleb Plant and then defended all of his titles against Gennady Golovkin and John Ryder. In between the fights, Alvarez moved up to light heavyweight to try for the WBA title in that division but lost to Dimitri Bivol. Charlo unified the junior middleweight titles by knocking out Brian Castano last year. The September 30th bout will be the first matchup of the four-belt era where two reigning undisputed champions face off against each other. And finally, Denver Nuggets star point guard Jamal Murray has withdrawn from Team Canada for the upcoming FIBA World Cup, citing a need for more recovery time following the run to the NBA title in June. The decision didn't come as a surprise as Murray didn't travel with the Canadians for a series of warm-up games in Europe beginning last week. He did take part in the team's training camp in Toronto two weeks ago, but will not recover fully in time for this event. Thanks, Brandon. Coming up in culture and entertainment, celebration for the Schatten Festival in Lhasa. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. Culture and entertainment, Yang Guang joins us now. Thank you. Sui, celebrations for the traditional Shirtin Festival have begun in Lhasa, the capital of Xizang. Shirtin translates to eating yogurt, and the festival will last a week. Guo Tianqi spoke to some participants at the event. In a unique spectacle accompanied by the solemn sound of Buddhist trumpets, a 30-meter-long tanka goes on display at the revered Drepon Monastery on the outskirts of Lhasa, marking the beginning of the Shotan Festival. Devotees began queuing as early as 1 a.m. just to catch a glimpse of the immense Champa Buddha, the revered Buddha of the future, illuminated by the first rays of dawn. Another temple in Lhasa, the ceremonial street, also displays its own cherished tanka. When the huge tanka is slowly unfolding, believers will throw hot scarves on it and bow or kneel down in front of the Buddha to express their admiration, good wishes and respect. After hundreds of years, the festival integrates religion and folk customs, making it popular with locals and tourists. I come here every year to pray for good health and success in my studies. I'm from Qinghai. Mongolians and Tibetans all believe in Tibetan Buddhism. We've come to enjoy the Shotun Festival, and we're going to the Tibetan restaurant later. 
We came from Liaoning and were really astonished by the huge tanka. I've never seen it before. I know shorter means eating yogurt, as believers use yogurt to welcome lamas who leave the temples. Precious tankas cannot be worshipped inside because of their huge size. Instead, they are put on display during special occasions, which also allows the sun to help prevent moisture from developing. The Shotan Festival is a seven-day carnival, starting from the 30th day of the sixth month of the Tibetan calendar. It involves traditional horse racing, Tibetan opera performances, and other cultural activities. That was Guo Tianqi and the Shotan Festival in Lhasa. The movie Barbies making history yet again. The fantasy comedy has crossed the 537 million U.S. dollars at North American box office, overtaking 2008 superhero epic The Dark Knight as the highest-grossing domestic release in Warner Bros. history. Please call me mother. No, thank you. And the box office records aren't expected to stop anytime soon. In the coming days, Barbie is projected to surpass animation the Super Mario Bros. movie as the biggest domestic release this year. It's been a wild run for Barbie, which has remained the number one movie for four consecutive weekends in North America. The first sci-fi cultural event dedicated to Chinese science fiction writer Liu Cixin has opened in his hometown, Yangquan, Shanxi Province. The Liu Cixin Hometown Sci-Fi Cultural Event Week aims to build a platform for exchanges and learning for science fiction enthusiasts for further meet the spiritual and the cultural needs of the people. Gathering science fiction literature and art together, the event includes a series of activities such as an exhibition of outstanding works from the art contest, film screenings, and an exhibition of science fiction books. Liu Cixin is a Hugo Award winner and author of best-selling books *The Three Body Problem* and *The Wandering Earth*. His hometown Yangquan plans to create a science fiction city. And finally, the 11th China Southeast Asia and the South China South Asia Arts Week is underway at the Yunnan Museum of Literature and Art. Themed "Building the Belt and Road Together: Meeting in Colorful Yunnan," it provides a platform to promote exchanges and cooperation between China and the countries of South Asia and Southeast Asia. Thank you very much, Yang Guang. Now let's have a quick check on the weather again. Beijing is 25 overnight tomorrow, sunny with a high of 33. Chongqing is 29 this evening tomorrow, sunny with a high of 39. Lhasa is 12 overnight tomorrow, cloudy and 23. Hong Kong has showers with 26 tonight. Tomorrow heavy rain with a high of 31. Elsewhere, Tokyo is 26 overnight. It'll be partly cloudy with 33 on Friday. Islamabad is 25 tonight. Tomorrow sunny and 36. Bangkok is 27 overnight, then thunderstorms and 36 on Friday. In Africa, Nairobi is mostly cloudy with a high of 23. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour, making news today. The identification process for the victims of the Hawaiian wildfires remains difficult. A container ship leaves Odessa for Istanbul amid Russian warnings. On behalf of the staff, this is Suyi in the Chinese capital, hoping you will join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? 
What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. A million, a billion, or maybe a gazillion years ago, a giant split open an egg. Then came the lady giant who made people, and Mr. Curious, the botanist, Mr. Handyman, the baron on the tree. This is our new season of Chinese folk tales, and we will explore the ancient mystical world together. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.